Okay, we're reading from Deuteronomy chapter 6 from verse 1 to 9. But uh, I'll just pray for the reading and for Josh as he brings God's word to us. Father, we thank you that we can be here today, that we can um, enjoy um, worshipping you. And Lord, we thank you that we can read your word. And um, yeah, just the freedom to be able to do that. And Lord, we just pray that you will be with Josh as he brings your message to us. Bless the words that he speaks. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will just be around us as we listen to him and learn from him today. In Jesus' name, amen. The greatest commandment. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which, are, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it is it's such a delight and a privilege uh, and a blessing to be here this morning to bring God's word to his family here gathered uh, together. Uh, <clears throat> I know we've prayed already, but I'd like to pray again over God's word and the preaching of his word. So let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are here with us. Lord, you are present. You have gathered us here together as your family to, to praise and to worship you, but also importantly to hear from your word. Father, may your spirit move amongst us and uh, may your spirit make clear to us the words um, from this passage here in Deuteronomy. May you speak through me and may you be working in the hearts of those that are listening. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. <clears throat> when you think about... Uh, the relationships you have with the people in your life. I wonder what comes to your mind. Joy. Sadness. Delight. Maybe worries. Happiness. Hurt. There's quite a range of emotions that we experience through the different relationships we have with people. Uh, people can make us 
They can make us feel good about life, but they can just as quickly make us feel not so good. We know that sometimes relationships last, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're the greatest source of happiness, and sometimes they're the reason for much pain. Whatever the case may be, I think we'd all agree that relationships are complex. They have their ups and they have their downs. Sometimes more downs than ups. Our text this morning is going to show us that God's relationship with us isn't like the ups and downs that we have with others. It's a relationship, in fact, that's so rock solid, he calls it a covenant. It's a covenant based on his promises to us that never fail and never let us down from one generation to the next. The question I have for you this morning is if you love God, what does being in a relationship with him look like for you? What's your response to his amazing love that never lets you down? As we unpack this text this morning, my prayer is that, that together we'll discover the answers to those questions. And what it should look like is we come to see that our relationship with God is one of promise, love, and obedience. So to begin with, let's look at what these verses teach us about God's relationship with us as a covenant relationship of promise. A covenant relationship of promise. Now, I think we'd all agree that promises can be hard to keep, right? And I think the ones that are the hardest to keep are probably those that come at a cost to us. You know, um, maybe you made a promise to help a friend before realizing that it meant you'd miss out on the footy finals. So you find yourself weighing up the importance, I don't know if there are any footy fans here, I'm not getting much of a response, but I assume there are. Um, you find yourself weighing up the importance of your friend or, or the footy. Maybe, maybe it's that quote that you realise partway through the job, you're way undercooked and sticking to it, it's going to hurt you big time financially. And so it's tempting, isn't it, to go back on your word and, and try and find some way to recover your costs. <clears throat> well, how about this one, kids? You made the promise to mum to tidy up your room. I need to realize that you forgot what a massive job it was last time. And so it's pretty tempting to try and find some creative way out of it, isn't it? But our text today shows us that God is someone who sticks to his word and he doesn't try to make excuses. You see, he entered into a covenant relationship with Israel built on promises that he never broke. Now, Uncle, um, what was his name, sorry? Who was Uncle? Uncle Roy. Uncle Roy was up here this morning, and he reminded us, there you are, sorry, Uncle Roy, told us that, that the book of Deuteronomy is written by Moses. And he's right. And it was written by Moses to the generation of Israelites that were at the end of the 40-year um, the desert wanderings. Now, what had happened is that their parents, they'd grumbled against God, and they didn't trust the promises that, that he'd made to their forefathers 
Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And so we know, don't we, that they missed out on going into the promised land of Canaan. But now in our text we have Moses reminding this, this new generation that despite the complaints of their parents, God is faithful. He's faithful to his promises from one generation to the next. Now we know, don't we, that God, he could have decided to give up so many times, but he didn't. Instead, we see that God is true to his promises no matter what. We just need to look at the first three verses. If you have your Bible open there before you in whatever format that is, have a look there with me. Moses tells them that true to God's word, what's going to happen? They're soon going to cross over the Jordan. I have the NIV translation, sorry. I noticed the ESV didn't say that. But they're going to cross over the Jordan where God's promise of, what is it? Long life and a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be theirs. As long as they obey him and keep his commandments. God was true to his word, even though we know Israel, they ended up failing miserably in the years that followed. Now we've got the story of God's faithfulness to Israel and his word right here before us. But you might be asking, how does that apply to me today? I mean, what does God's promise of a land flowing with milk and honey to a group of ancient Hebrew desert wanderers have to do with me? Well, the answer is that you and I are in a relationship with the very same God. A covenant relationship with a God who fulfills his promises, no matter the cost. The God who delivered on his promise to rescue the Israelites and bring them into Canaan is the same God who promised a Messiah that would bring the ultimate deliverance from sin and death for all believers. An eternal covenant of salvation and redemption, even though it came at the cost of the life of his own son. His son Jesus rescued you and me from the clutches of eternal death by paying the penalty for our sins and purchasing life everlasting for us. These are the promises of God. But just knowing about these promises is not enough. To enjoy God's promise of salvation and life everlasting means being in a covenant relationship of love with him. And so that's what I want us to look at now as we discover and learn from our text about God's relationship with us as a covenant relationship of love. Uh, when I was in the police a number of years back, there was this special code that we used before making uh, an important broadcast on the police radio. As soon as we heard the code 10-1, we paid attention because we knew a very important broadcast was about to be made. As we look at verse 4, verse 4 is just like that 10-1 broadcast. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Now this is an important message that Israel needed to sit up and listen to. Uh, In Jewish tradition, for a bit of background on it, it became known as the Shema because it started with the Hebrew word Shema, which means to listen or to hear. So why does this broadcast start with a statement about God being one God? Well, the Israelites' ancestors had only just 40 years earlier, remember, come out from under the influence of 400 years of slavery under Egyptian multi-God worship. And so they needed reminding that they were in a covenant relationship with one God only. The God of Israel. We need to be reminded of the same thing because, you know what? We live in a culture that worships the multi-gods of power, success, of fame, money, of sex. In this statement, this Shema, God was making it clear to Israel that he wasn't some tack-on God to be added to a list of their other gods. If you truly love God, you can't just tack him on to your life as a convenient addition to the other gods of the day. God knows that our hearts are idol factories screaming out for multi-god worship. The sinful desire to worship anything else other than God. But God says, No, there's no room to worship anything or anyone else. He is the one true God who claims top spot in our lives. To boil it all down then, it simply means that God commands a preeminent love for him in every area of our life. Now you might be thinking, okay, well what does that look like? Well, come with me to verse 5 and we'll find out. Verse 5 says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. In other words, love God with everything you are. Now, I think we'd all agree that the motivation behind our actions, it, it speaks volumes as to where our heart's at. I want you to think about this scenario for a moment. Husband hands over the most thoughtful gift to his wife. Uh, Perhaps a bunch of flowers, uh, maybe a bottle of her favorite beverage, uh, perhaps even a gift voucher for her favorite store. Wife responds, Oh, husband, How wonderful. That's so thoughtful of you. Maybe, maybe not. Husband replies, that's okay. I did it because we're married. That's what married people do. Hmm. I don't think that would go down so well. Now, it's true that a husband and a wife, they pledge on the day they get married to love and to cherish each other, don't they? Through thick and thin till death do them part. But I think we'd all agree that to provide for one another in those times just through actions alone, it's not going to result in a very long and happy marriage. 
And that's because actions performed out of duty, they don't demonstrate true heartfelt love. In the example I just gave, the husband's allegiance to his marriage vows, it came from an outward act of duty rather than an inward response of loving devotion to his wife. Now God's command in this verse is that our love come from within, not from without. Love fueled by devotion, not duty. A loving devotion that arises from every fiber of your being, that includes all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. Now that's the kind of love that comes from a heart that's captivated by what God has done for you in Christ. The love that comes from a soul sold out for God, purchased at the cost of his son's death on the cross for you. A love stirred up by the Holy Spirit-empowered affections that desire God and his ways in everything that you do. So what does that mean? Where does that bring us? We see here that this is the kind of love that, for God that leads us to Spirit-empowered obedience to his commands. And so that's what we're going to look at now in this text as we look at what it tells us about God's relationship with us as a covenant relationship of obedience. A covenant relationship of obedience. Again, turn with me if you will. Verse 7. What does it say there? It urges us to impress the commands of God on our children as we talk with them. As we walk with them, as we sit, as we lie down. In other words, to summarize this, we need to model a relationship of godly obedience to our children. Um, we've got four children, uh, all teenagers now. Our youngest just turned 13 the other day, so we've got a household full of teenagers. But you know what? I still remember when they were little. And I remember that, that stage, the why stage. The questions when children are little. Some of you know who've got families, who've got children, you know what I'm talking about. Now, these, these why moments, these why questions, they're, they're the teachable moments that God gives us to show them that, that God, he's in every detail of life, the good stuff and the hard stuff. He cares for us. He loves us. He never leaves or forsakes us. We can always trust him. He knows how bad we are, and yet he forgives us in Jesus. Now listen, I, I know, I know we don't always get it right, okay? We miss the moments. We stuff the moments up. That's okay. Because you see, that's why our children, they need to see authentic gospel living as much as they hear regular gospel instruction. As you sit at home in times of regular family worship, show them from the scriptures that God has the answers for life because you've experienced it for yourself. As you ask God's forgiveness for your unkind words to that motorist that cut you off, 
explain that the Holy Spirit is at work sanctifying you in all areas of your life. As you put them to bed at night, find opportunities to thank God for his goodness. Show your child the importance of remembering and thanking God for his daily provision. Show your children Jesus just as much as you teach them about Jesus. Our children, whether big or small, they're looking for authentic gospel living. As they hear and as they see gospel-centered love and obedience in us, we're impressing on them the importance of gospel-centered love and obedience to God. Now, I'm not standing here pretending that, that teaching and showing our kids gospel living and gospel loving is going to be a fail-safe strategy that ensures their salvation. Some of us here today, maybe you know that, that painful reality all too well for yourselves with children who haven't committed their lives to Christ. But all of our children, they need to make a decision for Christ themselves. I, um, I tell people that my kids, they keep me on my knees more than they keep me on my toes. Uh, and I mean that sincerely. I don't say that to put them down or imply that they're horrible kids, because they're not. I say it because they're people just like me. And they're lost without Jesus. And they need to see and experience the grace of God, just like I do. But not only does Moses instruct us to teach our children about God, he goes on in verses 8 and 9 to remind us that obedience to God is 24-7. Now, there was this uh, Jewish custom. I mean, if you read um, verse 8, you might be going, what's going on there? Tying symbols on their hands, binding them on their foreheads. Now, it might seem like a bit of a, a strange Jewish, Jewish custom, um, but what it was is that uh, it was a Jewish custom where the written law of God was put inside these little packages called phylacteries, uh, which would be tied to their hands or um, around their heads and kind of dangled between their eyes. A bit strange, you might think. But you see, the principle behind it was that they were symbols that served as uh, reminders of God's relationship with them and how they could best honor him through loving obedience as they went about their daily business. Now Moses didn't tell them to do this so that he could measure how obedient they were. It was commanded for the sake of pointing to God's love for them and their loving obedience to him. Now we still need God's commandments today as a guide that shows us what obedience to God looks like. But for us today, as we look more and more to Jesus and follow him, through following him, we follow the law. As we love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, the more that we'll see our lives being transformed to live and to love gospel obedience the way God commands us. And it's something we're called to do boldly. And without hesitation, as we look to verse 9. 
Moses there says, he tells the Israelites to write the commandments of God uh, on their door frames and on their gateways. Uh, this, that's the best place to make a first impression on anyone coming into your house, isn't it? Um, I know some of you here might be in the real estate game, but there's this well-known strategy that real estate agents use when it comes to marketing a house. Uh, and it's a strategy that involves making a good first impression. And it all begins, not at the front door, but at the letterbox. You see, the strategy is, the nicer the letterbox, the better the first impressions. Because first impressions matter. My question to you this morning is, what are the first impressions that you give to your unbelieving friends or neighbours as they come into your homes? Do you pray as you always do over a meal, even when they join you for dinner? Do you still read God's word during your regular time of family worship, even though it might be a little bit uncomfortable with them around? Do your unbelieving friends see markers of Christian love and obedience in your family and the way that you speak to one another and the way that you serve each other? First impressions can make a big impact on our unbelieving friends because it's there that they get to see countercultural gospel loving and living in the grassroots context of family relationships. Where they see you struggle with the difficult things in life, while at the same time trusting in God's promises. Where they get to see and witness the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in lives that are being redeemed and refined to be more like Christ one day at a time. Friends, make sure you write in bold letters on the gates and the door frames of your homes of Jesus' love for you and your loving obedience to him. Now I asked you at the beginning of this message what being in a relationship with God looks like for you. Um, I asked you what your response to his amazing love for you might be. Perhaps some of you here don't have a living, loving relationship with God. Well, my prayer is that having looked at the text this morning, that all of us have seen that God's covenant promise of a loving relationship is something that he holds out from one generation to the next. A lasting relationship based on his promise of forgiveness and salvation through faith in his son Jesus Christ. A relationship that ought to be lived out with every fiber of our being as we commit to love and serve him above everything else in this life. All I can say is that thank goodness Moses commanded Israel to teach one generation to the next about God's covenant relationship with those he loves. I mean, think about it. That's why we are sitting here as part of God's covenant promises as well. Because he uses us as his people to pass on his promise of salvation from one generation to the next. So look to Jesus and love him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And by his grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, 
live out your life in gospel love and gospel obedience. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is true, uh, that it teaches us everything we need to know uh, about how to live a life that pleases you. As we live in a living, loving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Father, may we impress this upon our children. May we show it in gospel living and loving in our everyday lives. And Father, may you, um, may you be with us and may you bless us uh, in our day-to-day uh, activities for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, friends, we've, we've heard of God's promises and love from one generation to the next. Uh, and as you leave here today, I'd like you to be encouraged for gospel love and gospel obedience through these words in the book of Thessalonians. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Um, I understand that... Uh, we're now going to sing, but there is opportunity if anyone would like to come forward and be prayed for or over, um, that that can be done here at the front of the church. Is that correct? Yeah. Thank you.